These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Harvest is rolling on all across Nebraska. We join you today from just north of Seward as combines are temporarily parked thanks to an overnight rain shower. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be talking cattle markets with Mike Briggs. School is back in session and the Dean of the College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources is going to stop by to join us here on the show. We'll get into those stories and check in on the latest when it comes to weather coming up in a moment. But first, Let's check in on harvest progress with this in the field update. Joining us this week is Eric Kamler, who's currently harvesting out near Shickley, Nebraska. Eric, we do appreciate you joining us here on the program. Let's talk about harvest progress so far. Where do you stand today? Well, right now we're about 35% complete on soybeans. Uh, seed corn wrapped up about a week ago. Um, and so far we're making good headway with the weather being perfect and uh, really moving at a fast pace right now out here. Let's go back on the seed corn front here. Some of our viewers might not be too familiar with that process. How does that work harvest-wise with a company that you contract with? Yeah, so we grow for Bayer. It's been our 10th year growing for seed corn for them. And um, they bring out a third-party seed corn harvest crew, and they basically use sweet corn food-grade level pickers. Um, the corn headers have uh, rubber belts on them instead of uh, chains and they, they use conveyor belts and take the entire cob and put it into a dump trailer. So it's quite a bit different than regular harvest with, with regular yellow corn harvest, but um, it works out really good and we've been doing it for 10 years now, like I said. Okay, so back where you stand today on soybeans, about 35% done, harvest weather has been good as you noted. How about your conditions headed into harvest? I guess your area didn't receive a lot of rain this past year, is that right? So mid-July, uh, mid we actually received quite a bit of rain. Um, August, though, the rain just shut off and it turned really hot, really dry, as it did for a lot of farmers. Uh, definitely affected the yields here and affected the yields across the state, I think. Um, we're seeing yields roughly 15 to 20% lower than last year and the two previous years for soybeans. Um, that critical time of pod fill in mid-August and September, I think it really, really hit it hard with the heat there and has really affected the crop. Do you have any conventional corn then headed after you need to head to after soybeans? We do. We've got one quarter of conventional corn and uh, right now it looks like it's, hand, it's holding up pretty well and uh, we're hoping for good yields on that. But again, I think the heat might have affected the yields a little bit there, but we'll wait and see till we get in with the combine. Well, at this point, Eric, I don't think you could ask for better weather conditions. Some heat over the weekend a couple weeks ago, I guess, at this point. But I guess talk about the conditions you're harvesting in. Anything in particular standing out to you this year? Yeah, no, the weather's been absolutely perfect here to start the year. Um, we did get a little bit of a rain 
to about a week ago here, and that actually kind of helped settle the dust quite a bit in the field. Um, right now, the next 10 days for the forecast on soybean harvest looks honestly perfect. It looks really good for the year, and we're moving on at a good clip here. And remind me, Eric, where do you guys stand when it comes to irrigation versus dry land? Yeah, the dry land is virtually zero, frankly. We're doing about zero to five bushel an acre on dry land pivot corners. Um, on our irrigated crop here, um, like I said, we're about 15 to 20% lower yields from the previous couple years here. All right, Eric, we do appreciate you joining us here on the program for our In the Field update. We'll continue to bring you these weekly updates as harvest is rolling along all across the region. Up next, food, water, energy, landscape systems, and people. These are some of the biggest challenges as well as opportunities that face our world today. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln's College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources, better known as CASNER, is aiming to help people become someone who will make a difference in shaping our future world. We recently caught up with the Dean of CASNER, that is Dr. Tiffany Hangmas, to see how things have been going for CASNER through the first half of the academic year. Joining us today is the Dean of the College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. That is Dean Tiffany Hangmoss. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Bryce. I want to talk about one of your recent trips. You and some of the uh, other leadership within the Institute all got into a, a vehicle and did a, a tour across the state and a little bit beyond the borders, I understand. What was the purpose of that? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we had the opportunity a few weeks ago um, to travel across the state of Nebraska. And we took our new leaders that are part of the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources. So we took our unit leaders in agronomy um, and horticulture, School of Natural Resources, biological systems engineering, animal science, and um, ag economics, and really excited. Really what our goal was, Bryce, it was to connect with schools across the state of Nebraska. Um, to figure out how we can continue to partner and support them, how we can connect with youth, get them excited about areas to pursue in agriculture and natural resources. We wanted to stop at our research extension and education centers uh, to best support our talented faculty, staff, and students um, that are in that part of the state. And then we made our way into Colorado, an opportunity to connect with alums through a University of Nebraska alumni event. Good tour, I suppose, uh, from your assessment? was an excellent Good. tour. Um, you know, we have so many amazing students, educators, administrators in our K-12 schools, and um, it was just really exciting to talk about what the future holds for us. There's a term I've seen pop up from Kasner uh, over the past few years, and it's pathway. I want to learn more about pathways. I know there's a few in particular you're, you're, you're here to highlight, but what does the term pathway mean in this context of there's one in Lincoln and one in Northeast Nebraska? Yeah, so we are all about pathways. I think pathways are our future, pathways across the state of Nebraska, across the U.S. and really around the globe. When it comes to pathways in Nebraska, we think a lot about our early college and career pathways. And that's really a way for us to connect with youth and help them to understand the role that agriculture plays in their daily lives, as well as what are all the career opportunities um, that exist in the field. And that's really important. We think about the state, one in four jobs are tied to ag. So three that I'll lift up for you is, one is a partnership with Lincoln Public Schools, and it's our food, energy, water, and societal systems uh, pathway program. And it resides over at Lincoln Northeast. So in close proximity to our main platform here at the University of Nebraska out on East Campus. And through this program, we partner with the teachers at Lincoln Northeast. And I'm excited to share that Ag and Natural Resources 
is integrated across the curriculum in ninth and 10th grade, which means each and every day we're connecting with over 800 students and helping them to discover all the things that we're so passionate about with ag and natural resource. And then if they have a true interest in that space, we have a pathway program for 11th and 12th grades that they can continue that exploration and we can help them find the, rear, the right pathway that's gonna align with their career goals. A second pathway program is our Northeast Nebraska um, Ag and Natural Resources Education Compact. And I'm really excited because it's the first compact for the state of Nebraska and Ag and Natural Resources um, is leading the way. And that truly is a partnership. In this case, it's a partnership with all the post-secondary schools in that part of the state, as well as NCTA having its statewide mission in technical agriculture, and then CASNR also. And you can't be a compact without your K-12 partners, so we have 21 school districts that are also a part of this. And really what our goal is, again, is to provide the talent that's needed to support the workforce needs um, in that part of the state, to help with attainment, right, of learners and access to whatever their educational, um, you know, ambitions may be. And then finally to support the economic and growth of that part of the state. And then the third one, which isn't new to us, um, but it's one that uh, is really important to this state and beyond, and that's our ag education pathways. And so we have just under 85% of our schools in Nebraska have ag education programs. They are growing and they are thriving as a result of that. 13,000 students participated in the FFA state convention um, this past spring. So I think the future is very bright uh, when you think about all of those youth and their interest um, in this space. So that's just a little bit about our pathways. We're focused on creating these pathways across the state um, with different schools. And really our goal is to listen and learn to the needs of the school districts. And then how can we partner together to advance our shared goals? The goals, I have to imagine, is getting those students here uh, on campus yes. where you and I sit today at the beautiful East Campus uh, as part of UNL. How's that going in terms of enrollment? I know the university comes out with their metrics uh, on that front. What are the numbers show for Kasner? Yeah, so um, we're really excited. Um, this year we welcomed 640 new students um, to the college. That includes our first-time freshmen, our transfer students. So that was the second largest incoming class um, for the college. And then we tied for the largest first-time freshman class, which included a 3% increase in Nebraska students. So we're really excited about that. Across the portfolio, we have over 3,300 students that are in our undergrad, grad, and professional programs that we offer here in Kasner. So it's definitely an exciting time for the college. Some good momentum, it sounds like. Dean Hangmoss, really appreciate you joining us here on Market Journal. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Bryce. Now, of course, Kasner is always recruiting future students to join the college. If you're interested in scheduling an on-campus tour, or if you'd like to learn more, head on over to their website. It is kasner.unl. Edu. Well, let's turn our attention now over to the markets, and this week we had the opportunity to head out near Seward, Nebraska to catch up with none other than Mike Briggs. We got his thoughts on the cattle markets. Here's our conversation from Wednesday morning. Good week to talk to you. Tuesday, rough, rough day in the cattle markets. Yeah, they're trying really hard to break this thing. It's been disappointing. I, I think you've got funds pressing on a little bit. You're in that time of year where you get a little bit of a swoon, but we're also to the point where the swoon should be over and we should start grinding higher. Now that might take till the end of October, but we will grind higher into the end of the year. It's not gonna be a rocket shot or anything, but it will grind higher. I think the swoon has lasted a little longer because of the consumers feeling a lot of pressure from the inflation and the incredible lack of leadership in, in Washington. And you know, those dollars that could have gone to 
steak or going to gasoline. So I think that's hurting us a little bit. Talk more about consumer demand coming up here in a second. I want to break down the live and feeder cattle markets in your perspective as the feeder guy here trying to trying to buy feeder cattle. Your thoughts on the price we see here early October. You know, how can you really complain? You're only five or six bucks off the all-time high, but do I feel I'm being treated fairly? No. Do I do I need all of it? No, I've you know, but yet. Well, we want to get what we want to get. We want to get the most we can when it's our time to make hay, and it's our time to make hay. Now, the Packers been getting beat up a little bit, and I really don't feel bad for him because he was making five, $600 a head for way too long. Now he's down to a break even, maybe a little less. He's trying to pressure this thing because beef has slowed down, so maybe he can carve himself out of margin. Whether he gets it done, I don't know. Uh, a lot of guys sold early yesterday down south because the hedgers, the with the break in the board, it made the basis good, so they dumped, and we're getting into one of those situations. It, it's a lot more fun as a cattle feeder when cash is leading the board, but we're getting back into this deal where the board's leading cash, and we've lost our positive basis, so it's not quite as much fun, but kind of is what it is. Just reading some chatter online. It seems like the consensus is the market's going to be correcting itself much quicker, obviously, than the way it built itself up. Is that your thought, too, if, if prices do break here and continue to go down, it's going to be quick? I think we've broken our thing. I th no, I just think it's going to be a slow grind okay. higher, but you're going to get that week where they're bidding 288 or trying to bid it at 286 and we get it popped back up to 292 where it probably should be. You're going to get that. I don't know when, but probably more towards the end of October. And then, like I said, I think we just grind higher. Um, now, there's a couple other things going on. Cattle are going to be big because corn's as cheap as it's been in a couple of years. So it, it pays us to put the pounds on. And so guys are going to hold them because of that. And guys are going to hold them because you can't afford to replace them because the price of feeder cattle is ridiculous. Great for the rancher, not so good for the feed yard guy. Okay, you, you kind of brought up and teed up to what's going on at the packer level, but DTN came out with a report this week talking about uh, slaughter speeds, and I think they noted that if you take out uh, 2020, we're the slowest that we've seen in terms of the number of cattle processed in a week uh, over the last five years. What's going on uh, from your perspective? Well, you've been able to get away with it. The first thing was once beef started to break, the packer slowed down the chain because he doesn't want to keep losing money, and demand is not good enough that the product's not getting pulled through. So they've slowed the chain down, they've backed some cattle up, tried to tried to get this beef, you know, take the supply away, get the beef market, get some traction. It's just a bad time of year to get traction in beef. You know, after Labor Day, we always swoon. I think it'll come back up. I'm really concerned about the consumer and his available, you know, his extra cash to buy stuff. They talk about credit cards being, debt being all time high and all this mess and that, I think that's going to inhibit us from going and making new highs again at this time. But I think we can grind back up to where we were, get back in 295, 296 type level on the, in the beef and you know get back up close to 190 in the, in the cash again. All right, keep an eye on that. Want to make sure I include a viewer question that came in this week from okay. a farmer feeder out there. This is honestly something I asked you about a year ago, so kind of an update on, on your thoughts. For the guy out there, smaller producer, cow-calf, is it worth feeding out the couple loads of cattle you have for the year, or is now the time maybe to, to let the bigger guy play the market? You know, that's a great question because feeder prices are really high. So a guy can just take his money, not have the stress, not have the worry, but corn is cheaper. If you if you're if you raise your own corn, the cattle market's pretty good. 
you can I think it's worth yet taking the risk to take them on through because I think prices next April May are going to be pretty good now you are taking on more risk you're, you're gonna go have a headbutt with mother nature in the winter time which is never we lose that headbutt way too often now we've been lucky the last couple years I hope we get lucky again but I would tell the tell the guy to feed him again this year now next year we'll see the the cattle cycle is getting disrupted a little bit here because of mother nature not letting it rain because if it doesn't rain people aren't going to retain heifers because they don't have any feed because it doesn't rain they start retaining feed feeder or heifers then the feed supply feeder supply is going to get really tight and the beef supply should get a little tight so then you know maybe a guy will be okay but we'll see typically when this thing rolls over it rolls over hard but i think we're a couple years from that because it's got to rain all right mike we'd like to give you the final word your, your little advice you want to share with the viewers <laughs> the biggest thing i'm going to tell producers is fight just fight do not cave to these packers yeah they've kind of got us here for a minute but we've got to keep fighting the cash i was at a nebraska cattleman meeting yesterday and kind of my final statement because i'm i'm going out i said guys I just implore you, I beg you, do whatever we can do to support the cash market. I'm really disappointed that Senator Fisher's bill has kind of languished and died. We needed that, need that. Captive supply is getting so big, it's putting so much pressure on our, on our cash market, that if we're not careful, our cash market's gonna go away, and then the whole thing falls apart. And so, fight, try to get everything you can for your cattle, because you deserve it. How about that? Appreciate your thoughts, Mike. Thank you. Always nice to hear the thoughts from Mike Briggs when it comes to the cattle markets. Coming up next week, we'll be back focusing on the grain markets. Doug Simon from Trados is going to join the program. You heard me ask uh, Mike a question when it comes to one of our viewers. If you, have, if you have a question you'd like me to ask one of our future analysts, be sure to email us or get in touch on social media, and I'll be sure to pass your question along. Pig farmers have their fair share of challenges these days. Labor, interest rates, market volatility, and disease concerns are just a few of them. That's why profitable hog farmers have a couple of keys in their pocket to deal with these challenging times. Technology and good risk management tools are two important items to one Nebraska pork producer. You can learn more about the third generation farmer from Lee and his strategies in the October issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What is that time of the show where we like to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Well, Eric, it's been a bit of a mixed bag this week. We've got some rain, some hot weather, and some cool weather. How are things shaping up as we turn to the week ahead? Well, thanks, Bryce. We definitely have had a mixed bag of weather here recently. I think we just usually call that fall. Let's start off by taking a look at the U.S. Drought Monitor, which was released on Thursday morning. And again, the data cutoff for all inputs from the Drought Monitor are 7 o'clock central on Tuesday morning. So that rainfall that we had during the day on Tuesday and Tuesday evening in the state is not reflected in this. Maybe we'll see some changes for the better next week. For now, though, we did see some uh, introduction of abnormal dryness in parts of southeastern Nebraska, where we had a very dry September. I think it actually was the driest September on record in Falls City. Um, again, no, this isn't drought, but uh, it was reflecting the recent dryness. So we just finished up the climatological growing season, May 1st to September 30th. And again, very, very dry here across a lot of the Midwest, and that was the same story in east central and southeastern Nebraska. And it was particularly dry in May and September. But as we move out here to the western part of the state, and again, most of the high plains and front range, we had historically wet conditions. Uh, so again, this was the second wettest growing season on record, the Panhandle, and the eighth, north, eighth 
uh, wettest growing season on record in north central Nebraska and quite wet in southwestern Nebraska as well. This led to significant changes for the better on the drought monitor, so significant improvements in drought in southwestern Panhandle and parts of north central Nebraska. Unfortunately, we did see further degradation in the drought levels across portions of eastern and south central Nebraska, and that led to some uh, historically bad ag impacts. Again, some of the yields that I've heard coming out of uh, Knuckles County and Clay County are probably some of the worst yields we've had in decades. Uh, hopefully, you will start seeing some improvement there, though. And we started maybe seeing some of that here with the precipitation we had on Tuesday. So again, some pretty good precipitation mounts here in parts of Panhandle and toward O'Neill. And very good precipitation mounts, York, Seward, Saline County. Uh, again, so some places in Saline and Seward counties, uh, we might have had three times as much rain on Tuesday evening as we had the entire month of September. Uh, so again, this is not breaking the drought, but it certainly is a, a step in the right direction. And that's reflected in the top part of the soil moisture profile where uh, according to percentiles, things are actually getting quite a bit better. Uh, root zone soil moisture, again, still relatively deficient across most of the state, uh, but this is a bit of an improvement for what we had a couple of weeks ago. So moving ahead of the week, uh, looks like we should have a pretty nice day tomorrow after a cool day today. And then we probably will see another reinforcing cool snap on Monday, uh, particularly in northeastern east central Nebraska. We'll probably have highs in the lower to mid 60s. Uh, not significantly cool, but definitely a little bit cooler than we will have on Sunday. Very, very nice day statewide on Tuesday and with some 80s possible in the Panhandle and southwestern Nebraska. Seasonal temperatures elsewhere. But by midweek, though, we might have a storm system moving into the um, central U.S. And this could actually bring some heavy precipitation to parts of Panhandle and southern Nebraska. Uh, the timing, strength, and location of the system is still quite uh, uncertain. So there's a lot of model uh, variability right now. So I'd pay closer attention to the forecast as we get early next week to see what we're looking for for impacts. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you very much for the update, Eric. We appreciate that. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there are lots of combines out and about across the state of Nebraska and elsewhere as the fall harvest is rolling on. And to that point, we wanted to take a moment here in the show to remind you of some harvest safety tips, particularly grain bin safety. Bill Dodd is standing by with this story. Normally they go in, they leave the unload system running, they stand in the middle of the bin because a chunk of out of condition grain has blocked the, the grain from flowing. They stand right in the middle of that bin with a rod and they, they, they jab down through the grain to bust up that chunk. And when, they, when the, it works and when they hit that chunk of grain, it grab, I mean, the grain literally grabs them and starts pulling them right down with it. Harvest can be an especially high-paced and frantic time for many producers. That's why many experts are now urging those same producers to take a second look and really pay attention to their surroundings as they perform seemingly everyday tasks such as checking grain bins. One way to ensure your safety when checking grain bins and avoid grain entrapment is simply grain management and quality control. Uh, to flat out avoid it, I mean, grain management is key. Make sure you keep that grain in good condition so you don't have the chunks. Ext uh, university extension agencies do trainings and offer a lot of material on, the, on this subject to make sure that grain is kept in condition. We always, we always use the old adage that you know, if I've got a grain bin full of grain, that may be a hundred, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars worth of grain in there. Maybe more, maybe a half million dollars worth of grain in that bin. If I took that half million dollars or quarter million dollars and I put it in a bag in cash and hung it in that bin, they'd go out and check it every day to make sure it was still there. But they fill that bin with that much money value of grain, they may not check it, but once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. We've had guys we've talked to that oh, I didn't check it for a month. So you know, it, there's a variation there, and they don't. They're not connecting the two with the value of and how often they need to be inspecting it and checking it. So 
the more often they check it and make sure the man management and the maintenance, and nowadays there's a lot more um, automated controllers out there that can help protect your investment in that grain that's in that bin. So the quality of the grain is, is key. Another step you can take to bolster the safety of grain system workers is to install a lifeline in the roof of a grain bin to ensure entrapment doesn't become full-blown engulfment. When we're dealing with, with grain like that out of condition, is there's lifelines now, and they're very economical to put in grain bins on a farm. Um, these lifeline systems prevent a person from ever sinking more than waist deep in the grain. So the idea is simply we mount a couple of uh, an anchor point and a, a pulley up at the top of the roof, and the farmer can rig the life. He installs his lifeline. It takes about 10 seconds to run the rope up through and back, um, and then hook it on himself or whoever's going in the bin. And then we prefer to have a second person there to run the rope for him while he's in there working. That way they can get help if something happens. We can rig the lifeline so that the farmer controls it himself. But again, I, I always encourage him, make sure you've got a radio or a cell phone or something that when you're in that bin, you can call for help. Because once something if something does happen, even though you're only waist deep, you're still stuck and trapped and you're going to need help getting out. So um, if they're going to be working alone, we can facilitate that to keep them safe, but they just need to make sure they've got communication uh, available to get help coming. When checking bins, it's also encouraged to use a lockout tagout system each and every time before entering bins or performing service or maintenance. Grain system workers should always assess what controls need to be locked out before any work is done. Um, the other thing is, is simply before you go into a bin, lock out, tag out. If they would lock out that auger before they go in, yeah, you may have to make two or three trips in and out until you get it flowing again, but that means you're going home at night. You're not, you're not going to die in that bin that day if you lock out that auger. Or just, you know, even for a farmer, if they don't lock it out, if they're the only one there, shut it off before you go in. I mean, that's, that's better than nothing. If you leave it running, you know you've got a chance of not coming out. On the subject of lockout tagout, electricity is a very large component to farming these days. This everyday facet of life is so commonplace that it may sometimes be taken for granted and can sometimes be overlooked as a costly or fatal hazard. However, a recent uptick in cases involving contact with farm equipment and electrical wires has caused the Nebraska Power Public District to take notice of this issue and has been encouraging ag producers to look up and look out. If you do encounter a scenario where your equipment makes contact with a live high-voltage wire, NPPD recommends that if you have a cell phone, you should remain in the cab and call 911 immediately. If it is absolutely necessary to exit the vehicle due to other hazards such as a fire, you'll want to jump completely away from the vehicle, ensuring that you never touch the ground in the vehicle at the same time, landing with your feet together. From there, you'll need to shuffle your feet or hop with both feet together 20 to 40 feet from the area. Once you've cleared the area, you should never try to return to the vehicle until the situation has been resolved by the local power authorities. Keeping these topics in mind over the course of the fall season will help you have a safe and successful harvest. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. All right, thank you very much for those reminders, Bill. We appreciate that. Timely reminders as harvest continues across the state. That is going to do it for this week's broadcast. Before we go, I want to remind you, you can watch our individual, our entire show, as well as the individual segments over on the Market Journal YouTube channel. We do appreciate you joining us because I know this is a busy time of year for many of our viewers. We do hope to see you back here next time. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskin, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.